You're listening to Elegant Bloom Podcast. I'm your host, LaVonda Sweeney. As a melanated licensed professional counselor, my goal is to help bring awareness to mental health issues impacting the black and brown communities while dispelling the stigma of mental illness. Through my service as a therapist, as well as an adjunct psychology instructor, I have the privilege of being a small part of people's life journey in a way that I do not take for granted. It is with great passion that I bring Elegant Bloom podcast, which educates, empowers, and inspires individuals to take control of their lives Therefore, taking control of their destinies. Okay. All right. Let's move. Let's move on. I hope I didn't miss any questions. I don't think I did. I think I got them all answered. Um, so um, for, all, for the, all the attendees, again, if you would use the uh, Q&A, I know earlier I said you can put it in the chat, but to be honest with you, just to be a bit, it's easier to keep up with it if it's in the Q&A because it's all in one spot. If you type it in the chat, I'd I have to scroll all the way through to, to find your question. So if you could type it in, in the bottom of the Q&A, it keeps all the questions together. All right, let's move to our third speaker, Miss Tiffany Davidson Parker. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit about her before she gets started. All right, Tiffany Davidson Parker is an experienced healthcare administrator, visionary leader, and advocate for underserved and underinsured individuals in need of mental and behavioral healthcare services and supports. Ms. Davidson Parker's experience and accomplishments in the healthcare industry are attributed to her robust educational background from Howard University, HBCU, um, Master of Social Work and South Carolina State University, HBCU, um, Bachelor's of Arts in Speech, Pathology, and um, Audiology. She has successfully organized, led, and managed community-based social and excuse me, social service programs and mental and behavioral health care services, resulting in outcomes that have met and exceeded operational and enrollment goals. Ms. Davidson Parker has participated in research efforts to assist with eliminating mental health disparities at a national level in collaboration with the National Alliance of Multi-Ethnic and Behavioral Health Associations and the President's New Freedom Commission of excuse me, to Eliminate Mental Health Disparities, which is now a part of the um, national ongoing efforts of, of the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, also known as SAMHSA. Ms. Davidson Parker is solution-focused and results-driven in her call to serve communities and families. In summary, her efforts have resulted in a lot of accolades and awards. Um, Tiffany, there's tons on here. I'm just going to, I'm going to read. So she's the founder and chief executive offer Officer of Universal Therapeutic Services, LLC, a community-based mental and behavioral health organization. She's a recipient of 2019 5K Carlo Nico White Foundation grant, 2019 participant in the Greenville Chamber Minority Business, on and on and on. This woman has tons of accolades. I'm really, really happy to have her here. Um, last but definitely not least, she is the wife of Coach Clarence Parker, who's the founder and owner of Health and Fitness Alliance and the mother of two absolutely the sons, Michael and David Parker, which she calls her superheroes. She is committed to leaving a legacy of love and financial independence for her family as she serves God, 
families and community. Her motto is changing the world one life at a time, one day at a time. It is my pleasure to introduce to you and welcome Miss Tiffany Davidson Parker. Thank you so much, uh, LaVonda, one, for having me um, and, and allowing me to just pour in and to be poured in, too. Uh, there's so much that's being shared here. And I, again, I'm honored. I don't take it lightly. So today, you know, when we when we initiated this thing, we were going to have it way back and um, um, pre-COVID, you know, and our topics were going to be, my topic was going to be a different. But since um, the the... Uh, inside of everything that's happened today. I needed to change the topic to make it relevant um, to some topics that we are currently dealing with. You already heard Tamara highlight um, some areas about wellness and stress. I'm going to go a little bit deeper in some of those areas, but I'm also going to focus on trauma today. You guys, over these past few months, we have gone through some major changes, some major shifts. We're, we're uh, addressing cultural change, you know, racial change, financial changes, personal, mental, emotional changes that are happening at a global level. Now, when we think about these significant pressures that United States have been and that our entire earth has been faced with, it's causing stress. It's bringing about trauma. It's bringing about sadness. It's bringing about this fatigue. Oh my goodness, that has not been experienced in decades. You know, some of the stuff, it just has not ever been experienced. You know, when you think about the level and the magnitude, we're having protests that's happening globally to help bring about justice, uh, uh, racial justice. So, so there's a lot that we're thinking about today, right? So we have a global pandemic with global protest, protests, and all of that is gonna bring about global change. So I, I feel like it's fair to say that we will never be the same. 2020 is a year of unprecedented times and unprecedented change. So when we think about these current stressors, safety concerns, right? A lot of folks are, are dealing with safety. Okay, can I go out and, and protest? And if I do, will I get COVID or will I get beat down, right? So, so that's the stress in and of itself. Um, mental and physical fatigue that folks are going through, financial hardships, concerns about going to work and someone else that you know not going to work, having guilt about that is creating additional stress. Um, having grief, grief over lost loved ones, over friends that have been passed away, um, you know, and just, gosh, you know, I, I need not even say, um, the other part of that, you know, the grief is real today. Um, and so when we uh, experience these stressors, we cannot continue to suppress them. We must be able to acknowledge them. We must be able to communicate our stressors and, and talk to our family, talk to our friends, and if need be, talk to a therapist. It is okay. It is okay. Now is the time to break the stigma, to break down the barriers related to mental health and mental well-being. Um, and so we, we must continue to educate ourselves about ways that we can be healthy. And, and we do that by doing some of those things that Tamara said and also adding on to that. So we're mindful, you know. Um, and, and what does mindful mean? We're, we hear a lot about, oh, mindfulness, and we're going to be mindful. But actively saying, okay, you know what, I feel my my body rising up on me in a way that's uncomfortable. So I'm going to take a deep breath. And I'm going to hold that deep breath for a few minutes. And when I hold that deep breath for about 10 seconds, just 10 seconds, it sends a message to your brain to say, okay, I can calm. 
I can be safe. I am well. It is okay. And, 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 and then what happens, your body starts to adjust to that, right? And so we don't want to stay on this wheel of repeating all of these stressors that are, that are occurring because ongoing stress can then lead to trauma, right? And so when we think about that, we also want to be mindful mentally, emotionally, and physically. You know, uh, uh, what is the, the, the stress doing to me mentally? Is it keeping me up all night? Is it making my, my thoughts race? Uh, you know, what, how is it impacting me, right? How is it impacting my emotions? Do I find myself being tearful or angry or upset more frequent than I normally would, right? And so when you see those things coming, take your deep, deep breath, you know, just go in to your inner self and, and give yourself a moment. You deserve it. We deserve it. You don't have to rush through the day to rush through your stressors. You know, physical fitness is key. When you are physically uh, well or working to be, every time you work out, it sends these neurochemicals to your brain that, that helps to strengthen you, that helps to naturally help you feel better, okay? And so then know that you can navigate uh, through your life, that you have control, that you can make the choices for yourself that you have power over yourself and to know yourself and to know what triggers you, right? And so if you know that watching CNN is going to put you in a tailspin, don't watch it. If you know that having the dialogue with someone about this matter is going to make you angry and make you want to go fight somebody, well, then just say, hey, you know what? I really can't, I can't go there right now. And that's okay. That's okay. So you are the master of yourself, right? You know, and I say that uh, as an earthly uh, uh, realm. Now, of course, I'm a, I'm a God-fearing woman. I'm a kingdom citizen. And so with that, when I say that God gives us free will, you have to protect your entryways, the things that you hear, the things that you see, the things that you speak. That is totally up to you. Right. And so how can we do that? We can, as you think about these things that are happening around us, we can prepare for the worst case scenario as best as we can. We can begin to, um, um, you know, of course, we don't want to stock up and take all the tissue. But yeah, you may want to get you some toilet tissue. Right. And I say that lovingly, you know, but we want to set real goals for ourselves. We want to uh, uh, assess ourselves and say, okay, I know these are the things that I'm good at. And these are some things that I need help with, right? And so you're assessing your strengths and your challenges. I don't like to call them weaknesses, you know, but the, the, your strengths and your challenges, you know? And so, and another approach is when you feel yourself getting tense and getting tight, you can do this. You can tense your hands for 10 minutes and then let them go. And then do it again, not 10 minutes, I'm sorry, 10 seconds. And do it 10 times repeatedly. And do that thing 10 times, right? And it starts to send these signals that helps you to calm your body, relax your body, right? And so taking those breaths, doing those tensing exercises. Um, and then think about those times when you overcame. Think about those times when you, oh, you know what? I, if I've gone through that, surely I know I can get through this. Right? And so we don't want to act as if we've never overcome. We are a race that overcomes. We are a people that overcomes. So when we think about all that we've gone through, all that we have, have, have overcome, and now where we are in today's society, when we look back on the, on the journey of our ancestors, 
and how we have gone through and now we are still standing the test of time, right? We must be empowered by that. It's not an option. So evaluate yourself, prepare for the worst case scenario, set your realistic goals for what you can do now. In addition to that, you know, um, well-being is, 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 gosh, on the top of our list. I love the totem pole that Tamara uh, gave us. It gave us a, a, a visual description on how we need to prioritize our life. And so we want to have healthy relationships. We want to be able to not only have healthy relationships, but to communicate in a way that is healthy right and so again that's guarding those things that you say guarding how you interact with those around you right there's a lot of things that we can say and there's a lot of things that we just don't have to say okay right so when we think about it and then if you start evaluating yourself and you're noticing these different uh symptoms that's taking place in your body that may have never happened maybe you're starting to have more headaches you know, maybe you're realizing that, oh gosh, my breathing is not the way it used to be because of anxiety rising up or frustration rising up. <sighs> Take a moment. Take a moment. Take a moment. And so making sure that you are taking care of yourself, that you're doing those things to promote optimal health and wellness mentally, physically, spiritually, right, financially right? Uh, familial, you know, even within your relationships. And then being able to express yourself is so important. So I just wanted to cover some of those areas related, related to stress. Um, but really, I want to hone in on the trauma piece. And so trauma in and of itself um, can be defined um, as a psychological, emotional response to an event or experience that is deeply distressing or disturbing. And I believe right now, the state of where we are, we are, we are, we've all experienced trauma. You know, and it's fair to say that, even as therapists, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we have our capes on, but we're human, right? You know, we have this, our superpower is to be healers and natural healers, but we're human. And, and so with that, how do you, how do you go through and, and, and maneuver through this time where there is great trauma and great grief and great loss? Well, and we're going to get into that. Um, but when we think about trauma, you have that acute trauma where there was a one incident kind of a situation happened one time and that really impacted that person. And it created this traumatic event that has been ever time stamped in their brain, right? Then you have this chronic trauma where it's a repeat prolonged situation like domestic violence or uh, ongoing neglect that now it becomes a chronic condition, a chronic situation that happens. Well, then you have what we call complex trauma where you may have trauma that happened as a childhood and then domestic violence and then witnessing somebody be murdered and then, and then, and then, and then. Where all these layers of trauma continues to happen you know, in different areas of your life that then gets to a point to where it's repetitive, you know, and, and so we call this complex trauma, right? So I want to give you these terms so that way you understand where we're coming from. And then as trauma, someone thinks, oh, well, you're only traumatized if, you've, if, if it's happened directly to you. Not necessarily the case. No, someone can be a witness of trauma. They can be the victim of the trauma or they can actually be the perpetrator. Yes, the perpetrators can also be traumatized, right? Those who cause the trauma, okay? And so uh, it, it's, 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 um, 
it's a three-pronged idea when we think about trauma, you know? So someone having been the witness of it, we've witnessed some things most recently, you know? The victim and then the perpetrator. Um, and so when we think about it, how does it show up um, with us? You know, someone can be verbally abusive that then lends to trauma or go through that um, uh, accidental, you know, a major car accident to, can be then traumatic for someone where now they're no longer driving, right? Um, or every time they get behind a wheel, that thing continues to replay behind their mindset. And so oftentimes when you, when you hear trauma, the diagnoses that come along with that lend to post-traumatic stress disorder, um, or even developmental trauma that happens in children. Um, and so there's, and I don't even want to get into the DSM-5, but there's so many levels to this post-traumatic stress um, of someone having been the victim, the witness, or the perpetrator. So direct or indirect and, and all of that. But the, the, the whole thing that I'm getting at is that these things are hard to maneuver through. And that's the fact of it right but you don't have to do it alone and it doesn't have to be life debilitating that help is available that you can recover that you can get through a traumatic situation that you can in fact truly heal that it can happen and so when we think about trauma and when we think about how we can um uh help help with trauma most times you you find therapists that may provide uh, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, for trauma and, and that's where they're talking to someone to help them um, process through their thoughts and their beliefs about this trauma to refocus and reshape this approach um, exposure therapy is another approach and it's a form of cognitive behavioral therapy but that helps to reduce those associated fears that's linked to um, trauma and those modalities help out with the memory of the trauma right and so you even hear cognitive behavioral um, uh, trauma excuse me trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy so it's all working on the cognition on the memory of that trauma and how can how can we now reframe it in a way that that helps that person get through that event or those events in their life right um, by, by acknowledging their strengths acknowledging where they are Right, acknowledging where they can go, and then making a, a decision to, to continue to pursue and move forward in that way. But in addition to those type of approaches, um, of, of, and that's just a few, you know, I mean, gosh, you have EMDR, um, the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is an area I, I'm seeking to get trained in. Um, uh, but then you think about those things like yoga, right? Um, because studies show that. Uh, not just working on on the on the memory of it but also focusing on ways to to get your body engaged in this thing so that way you know you are being more mindful again and thinking about how you're dealing with these so going through yoga uh um approaches um um uh, breathing exercises and, and different things that can help you process and deal with the trauma and so trauma is not an easy uh, area to deal with. But I, I must say that during this time, I'm elated to find that there is a discussion about mental health and mental well-being, that there is a discussion um, nationally to make sure that people are getting their needs met. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, 
It's our time. It's our time to heal, you guys. It is our time to bring our issues to the table. It is our time to open up and share what it is that we're feeling. Uh, don't hold it back. Don't, don't feel that, that you have to um, contain yourself uh, because where you are is where you are. And where you're not is where you're not, and that's okay. And so as you deal with your stress uh, that, that you know, we are all dealing with right now, know that you're not alone. Know that um, you have healers in your community that are ready and able and willing to work with you. Uh, you know, and don't limit yourselves and how you can go about getting the aid that you need. So um, you know, this was pretty much to the point. You know, um, I, I wanted to, to just really highlight the fact that, one, we got to open up as a black community, you know, um, and, 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 and know that seeing a therapist is a way you can have a safe place to communicate, is a, is a place where, where no one will know the, the information that you're sharing, where you can go in and you can be vulnerable and you can disclose and you can, you know, talk about the instances that you've gone through or how what you've seen has impacted you. And that's okay. That's okay. Now is the time where we have to begin to heal our black community. We have been seeing these deaths of our black, uh, of, um, our, our black members of our, of our race being killed and murdered for the last how many years now? Right, you know? Injuries. Right, you know? And so, so with that, yes, we have complex residual trauma. Right, and so what our grandparents have gone through, some of them don't even wanna tell the stories. My grandmother's 89 years old, and she didn't tell the stories of, of the things that she experienced until just last week. She started telling stories. So not only is it time for us to open up, but it's time for us to sit by our seniors and ask the questions, how did you get over? How did you maneuver through those uh, extremely hard racial times? Right? It's gotten a little bit better for us, but it's still present. And so I want to talk about the elephant in the room. You know, this is where this is why we uh, are, are doing this to make sure that our black community are getting what they need during such a time as this. It is not an option. I can't tell you how many times I've cried. You know, and I'll tell you um, with Lakia when she mentioned having a good therapist too is having somebody who can relate to your experiences in a lot of instances. You know, not to say they have to have gone through domestic violence just like you have, but there's some level of relation there, right? And they can, they can connect with you um, at, your, at your deep level. They can uh, um, uh, definitely empathize, empathize with you, if not sympathize with you. But uh, where we are right now, I sympathize. I'm there. I get it. You know, I get why we're angry and why we're hurting and why we're, uh, uh, you know, we, but we demand change and we need change. And so, so we have to do those things that bring about positive change. Okay. So yes, getting, getting next to your, to your seniors, talking with them, finding out what happened during your time and how did you deal with it, grandma, granddad, auntie, uncle, what advice do you have for me? Right. Because this isn't new under the sun. 
This is an age old issue that we've been dealing with. And then when we think about the pandemic and folks being isolated, we know, oh my gosh, isolation is, is, the, is one of the key issues when we think about mental unrest. And so if we are going to continue our pursuit for healing, even though we may be physically separated, we don't have to be separated uh, as we commune and talk with each other. Zoom, these video type calls, you know, you can still be connected. I believe I've talked to more people now during this COVID-19 phase than, than before, you know, because you're checking in on your people. So yes, check in on your folks, right? Be open and let people know, hey guys, this is a good time to call me. I would love to hear from somebody and be okay with saying that. Like, you know, I think for so often we've, we've always held this, oh, I don't want to say that. I don't need to ask for any help. I don't need to tell nobody. I need to talk to somebody. I don't need to, but how will people know? How will people know that you crave a connection, that you desire to commune with someone, whether you can have lunch over the phone, you know? So there's ways that you can still stay connected and, and, and share your thoughts and share your feelings. And then the other thing is, I just want to put this out there, guys, don't go and talk to everybody. <laughs> Right. Oftentimes in the black community, um, we'll, we'll go and talk to, you know, our cousin who's gone through the same thing. Well, she's going through the same exact thing you're going through. How much more can she help you get out of it if she's still in it? So that might mean when you say, hey, cuz, you know what? I see we're going through the same thing. Why don't we go and talk to somebody who can help us get out of this thing? Sometimes that may be a pastor, right? And sometimes your pastor may not be equipped to deal with a, a clinically uh, a, a clinical issue like ongoing chronic depression or like chronic trauma, you know? And, and, and I think that's the other thing. We have to uh, uh, educate our churches too, to say, hey, pastor, minister, evangelist, know when to refer to a therapist. Know when to transition to a therapist and say, okay, you know what, I've done enough that I can do right? I'm going to keep praying with you, right? But I realize that some issues are deeper and need some clinical intervention, you know? And so really, I, I, my aim today was to give some information to help break down the barriers, to let you know that it's okay, to let you know that, that we have the power to heal. Just like we have the power, we have shown that we have the power to rise up. Mm -hmm. We have risen. Guys, we had a Black president, Right, we yes. have we have millionaires out here that are, are people of color that we can relate to. You know, we have leaders that are in our communities that are across the nation. And so by no means are we an oppressed race, by no means. Because we have risen and we can continue to rise up. And that comes through having authentic dialogue with people you trust, people who you know has your back, people who are gonna to go to bat for you, right, right? And so, and I love what Tamara mentioned about having those healthy boundaries and knowing when to say when. Yeah. Showing people how to treat you, right? You know, even, you know, you have even your homegirls, oh girl, you crazy. It's the dialogue that we say to each other. We have to also be culturally competent within our own race. Right. And so colorism is real. We got to break down these barriers, guys, you know, that continue to perpetuate stress, 
that continue to push the dialogue of, 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 of separation, you know, that continue to keep us bound mentally and emotionally. You know, so I, 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 I grew up in a black neighborhood in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where we've heard, you know, people, oh, yeah, you think you're all that. Oh, it doesn't take all that. Oh, yeah, she's bougie. Oh, yeah, they've arrived and all this stuff. And it keeps our mouths closed because of what people are going to say. Today is the day that you don't care what people are going to say. Today is the day that you rise up and you take control of your life mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and you do what you need to do to thrive, to grow, to prosper. Because you better believe there's nothing that's gonna stop me now. There's nothing that's gonna hold me back. You know, I mean, I'm just gonna share. Yeah, I grew up. Oh, you're, you, oh, you white girl. You know, because I'm so high yellow. And I heard that too. I'm high yellow. You know, and I don't subscribe to those things. But that's the dialogue I've heard growing up. Oh, you speak well. Oh, you read well. But can you fight? What? Can I fight? You see what I mean? You know, right? And so, and so when we think about these things, that causes a stress level that's not necessary. I got to fight. Do I got to fight you? You know? <laughs> Right. Instead of saying, oh, so tell me about what's your favorite and getting to know a person. So when we put these judgments out there, when we uh, continue to ostracize our own and set our own apart, that further increases stress, that further increases separation, that further increases uh, uh, this divide, so to speak, that allows uh, the external community of the black community to, to judge us. And we accept it. So I challenge you today, I challenge you today that you go forth being exactly who you have been designed to be. Do not uh, uh, apologize for being happy and joyful. That was it. I used to get, why are you so happy? You're always happy all the time. Get you some happy, get you some joy, right? You know, and we have something to be happy about. Look, it's, it's how many months past COVID-19 and I don't have COVID-19. I survived. I got some joy about that. You hear what I'm telling you, right? You know, it wasn't, I got joy that my husband didn't get a knee in his neck. I got, I got something to praise God about. And so never let anybody tell you who you should be, how you should act, how you should interact, be exactly who you are. Don't let the stress of this world, the weight of this world, come upon your shoulders that keeps your mouths closed, that keeps you from pursuing that thing that you need to pursue. Be you. And one of the things that's been resonating with me during my prayer time is just the, the, the power and the word of be. You know, typically you think of that word as a passive word, be. Oh, no. To be is an action verb. Mm. To be alive, to be able to breathe, to be able to speak up and advocate, to be a black woman today. That's active because I have work to do. And so do each and every one of you out there. You have work to do. So I wanted to empower you today as we go forth, and I'm getting full right now, but now is not the time for us to sit down. You find where you fit in and you work that thing. 
You find what it is that you do and you do it with everything that you have. Let nothing stop you from meeting your, your divine purpose in life. Because mm -hmm. if it does, then it will cheat every, everybody around you. You will cheat the world of the glory that God has given you. So I thank you guys for this time. I welcome any, any dialogue and any questions. I could go on, but I believe that my time is about up. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, if that does not get y'all motivated and encouraged, I don't know what will. Uh, Tiffany, that was a whole word. Mm. <laughs> that was a whole word. And, you, and we actually do have some questions. Um, but I'm going to save it for the Q&A. Um, it is four minutes to 12. Everyone, um, th thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for that. Um, we would love for you guys to hang around um, for, for Dorothy's presentation. She has some great information that she wants to share with you about ch children and adolescents. And then we'll, we'll do the Q&A. So for those of you who can hang around, please do so. We will go past 12, um, obviously. All right. So um, I'm going to introduce your last but definitely not least um, speaker and let me tell you more about her. Miss Dorothy Rainey is a licensed professional counselor. She's a native of Anderson, South Carolina. She is the daughter of Clarence and the late Verena Jones. She was educated in Anderson School District 2 where she graduated from Belton Honeyer Path School in 1996. She received her bachelor's of science degree in experimental psychology from the University of South Carolina Sparburg, go Gamecocks, and her master's of arts degree in counseling from Webster University. Um, she can't, excuse me, she became a licensed professional counselor in August of 2009. Dorothy has over 15 years of experience in counseling. She has worked for nonprofit organizations and private organizations. As a counselor, she has been able to help individuals as they struggle with life experiences. She aids them in developing new skills that can help them handle difficult situations that may arise. She also insists, excuse me, assists them with gaining access to resources in the community. Dorothy is the founder and executive director of DM Rainey Therapeutic Services, LLC, where they are changing lives one at a time. Her target population is children, adolescents, and their families. She offers services to individuals in upstate South Carolina. Dorothy offers, uh, excuse me, also offers services at pain management clinics where she conducts psychosocial evaluations for new patients, patients who are spinal cord stimulator candidates, patients who have positive urine drug screens for substances um, that are not prescribed for them and any other reason that the doctor deems necessary. Dorothy is a lifelong member of Welfare Baptist Church in Belton, South Carolina. She currently works as a youth advisor, treasurer of the youth department, Sunday school teacher for preschool, assistant superintendent of Sunday school, and the co-facilitator of, of youth church along with her husband. Dorothy married the love of her life, Minister David Rainey, on October 17th. 2009. The Lord has blessed Dorothy and David with three beautiful and wonderful children, Janiah, Michaela, and David II. It is my pleasure to welcome Miss Dorothy Rainey. All right. All right. Hello. Um, I want to thank LaVonda for this time. And um, I have learned so much and I want to thank you ladies for all the information that you've shared so far. Um, I've, um, it's challenging me to be a better me, to be a better mom, counselor, and everything else that I do on a daily basis. Um, I also have a PowerPoint and I'm going to see if I can pull it up here. Oh, 
Look, oh, look at me. Okay, so I am Dorothy Rainey and I am the Executive Director and Clinical Counselor at DM Rainey Therapeutic Services. Um, the topic that I'm going to talk about is um, mental health in African American children and adolescents. One in five children between the ages of 13 and 18 live with a mental health condition. A, a few mental health facts, children and teens, um, one in five children ages 13 to 18 have or will have a serious mental illness. 20% of youth ages 13 to 18 live with a mental health condition. 11% of youth have a mood disorder. 10% of youth have a behavior or conduct disorder. And 8% of youth have an anxiety disorder. About 20% of American children suffer from a diagnosable mental illness during a given year. Further, nearly 5 million American children and adolescents suffer from a serious mental illness. A serious mental illness is described as one that significantly interferes with their day-to-day -day life. And here are a few um, common um, mental health um, issues in children, anxiety disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, disruptive behavior disorder, pervasive developmental disorder, eating disorders, elimination disorders, affective disorders, schizophrenia, and tic disorders. And how do we recognize um, some of the symptoms of children with mental illness? Um, they may abuse alcohol or other drugs. Um, their inability to cope with, uh oh, oh my gracious. Okay, sorry about that. Their inability to cope with daily problems, changes in school performance, excessive worrying. Um, hyperactivity, defying, author defying authority, defi um, changes in life and um, changes in sleep and eating habits, frequent nightmares, and anger outbursts. Facts about mental illness. A <clears throat> attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, behavioral problems. Anxiety and depression are most are the most diagnosed mental disorders in children. 9.4% of children ages 2 to 17 have received an ADHD diagnosis. 7.4% of children ages 3 to 17 have a diagnosed behavior disorder. 
7.1% of children ages 13, I mean, three to 17 have diagnosed anxiety and 3.2% of children ages three to 17 have diagnosed depression. Some of the conditions may occur during the same time. Having another disorder in most, is most common in children with depression. About three in four children ages three to 17 years old with depression also have anxiety. For children ages three to 17 years of age with anxiety, more than one in three have behavior problems and about one in three also have depression. For children ages three to 17 years with behavior problems, more than one in three also have anxiety and about one in five also have depression. Depression and anxiety have increased over time. Um, social circumstances and children in foster care and exposure to violence is also facts um, that can lead to children with mental disorders. What are some of the causes in, of children with mental disorders? Well, the exact cause of mental illness in children is unknown, but research suggests that a combination of factors could play a role, such as heredity, heredity biology, psychological trauma or environmental stressors. Also, social circumstances often serve as an indicator for the likelihood of developing a mental illness. African Americans are disproportionately more likely to experience social circumstances that increase their chances of developing a mental illness. Children in foster care and the child welfare system are more likely to develop mental illnesses. African-American children comprise 45% of the pub public foster care population. Exposure to violence increases the risk of developing a mental illness. Over 25% of African-American children exposed to violence meet criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. And how do we go about diagnosing the children with mental illnesses? Diagnosis of mental illness in children are primarily based on signs and symptoms. Diagnosis can be difficult due to the fact that many of the symptoms observed can be part of a child's normal development. Behavior becomes symptoms when they occur very often, last a long time, occur at unusual age, or cause significant disruption to the child's and or family's ability to function. If symptoms are present, the doctor will begin an evalu evaluation by performing a, a complete medical history and physical exam. If no physical illness is found, the child may be referred to a child and adolescent psychiatrist or psychologist, mental health professional who are specially trained to diagnose and treat mental illnesses. And to treat mental illnesses, illnesses Typically, there is medication, psychotherapy, and creative therapy. Um, the creative therapies are kind of like um, creative play, play therapy, and those types of therapies. Without treatment, without treatment, many mental disorders can continue into adulthood and lead to problems in all areas of a person's adult life. People with untreated mental disorders are at high risk for many problems, including alcohol or drug abuse, violent and, or destructive behaviors, and even suicide. 
research in children with mental illnesses. Researchers are looking at childhood development in terms of what is normal and abnormal. The goal is to try to prevent or try to predict and ultimately prevent developmental problems that could lead to mental illnesses. A key part of this research is the identification of risk factors, factors that increase a child's chances of developing a mental disorder. And in addition, the mental health community is calling for additional research on medications used to treat children with mental disorders. Struggles facing children with mental disorders. At risk for having lower, children that um, have mental disorders are, may be at risk for having lower educational achievement, greater involvement with the criminal justice system, and fewer stable and longer term placements in the child welfare system than their peers. They are more likely to experience problems at school, be absent, or be suspended or expelled. Children with more anxiety disorders are at higher risk for anxiety, depression, and substance abuse disorders in adulthood. About half of children who are diagnosed as having attention deficit hyperactivity disorder are thought to continue to have significant symptoms of disorders into adulthood. And then I just have a resource page where you can go to um, further investigate and look up um, about children with mental illnesses and young adults, um, medicinenet.com, WebMD, Safe, Smart, and Social, um, the State Department of Mental Health Hospitals. And I also have my um, contact information on here, but I also put it in the chat box so that everyone can um, copy it if they need to. And that's all that I have. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So there's there's so much to know and to learn about child and adolescent issues. Um, I think it's very important for us to talk about this, um, especially during in a platform like this, because children will present differently um, than adults. So for those of you who are in attendance and you have children and adolescents, this information is really helpful because it, it'll help you understand that, see, when we're depressed, we can say, I'm sad, I'm depressed. But a six to seven year old, is, they're not going to be able to tell you that. And so you, you, there's, it's very important to look at it, um, to look at it from this perspective, to understand that there are so many different ways that children present. And sometimes we just overlook, we think they're just being bad or they're just acting out. And, and really there's probably something going on that we need to, that we need to look into. Very good. Thank you so much, um, Dorothy, for that information. Did you want to go ahead and share Did you share your information I'm, already? I'm, I'm doing it right now. Okay. Okay. I, I, I see you typed, um, you typed it in the, um, box as well. So did, were you going to actually share your screen or just type it in there? I'm just going to type it in. Okay. All right. So, so go yeah, and you go ahead and put your website or phone number and things in there. Um, and, and while you're doing that, um, for those of you who want uh, Tiffany's um, information, she did not get a chance to share her information. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and let her do that as well. All right. And there's Tiffany's information. Yep, so we are um, located right there on 25 Wade Hampton. When we go back into the office, we are only providing teletherapy services at this time. Um, you can also uh, contact us at the phone number listed. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and put my, give you my personal cell number, 864-2242. Um, 
540-1209. And also by going to the website, universaltherapeuticservices.com, you can type in these fields here and send a message um, just to ask questions or anything like that that you may um, have a need of. And so um, we just started a case management program uh, where we're providing that for individuals with Medicaid only. Um, and, um, and we're also rendering services in the low country now. So we're here in the upstate, we're in the low country, and we just started case management. Um, we have a team of about 12 individuals, professionals who are on board with us, and we're also at Unity Health on Main. So um, I just want to add that in. I got so caught up. So thank you for allowing me the time to um, share my information. You're absolutely welcome. All right, so now it's time for the Q&A for Tiffany and Dorothy. Um, and I actually have a really good question. It's actually a question for everyone, which I thought it was a great question. But let me go to the back to the first question. I'm having a little trouble scrolling here. Come on. It doesn't want to cooperate. There we go. Um, Okay, so I think this one is for you, Tiffany. So Katie wanted you to speak. Um, nope, 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 that's the wrong one. I'm sorry, I'm trying to do them in order and my screen is not wanting to cooperate with me to scroll down. Oh, this is not working well. This touch screen does not want to work. Okay, okay, so Katie, Katie says, I would love to hear more about a perpetrator experiencing trauma. Are you meaning that they have trauma in their life? or that they too can be traumatized by the traumatic event they caused? Yes, Katie, great question. So oftentimes someone who perpetrates has been perpetrated. Oftentimes we find that individuals who um, um, may prey on uh, little kids uh, were at some point preyed upon as a child um, and molesters sexually abused or physically abused. And so um, oftentimes you see that there's a cycle that has started somewhere and, and either they are totally against it or they then adopt that same action and interaction with people. Because that may be what they know. That may be how they cope and how they deal. And so, yes, there's times when you will find that a perpetrator themselves have been perpetrated and have been the victim at some point. Um, gosh, I've, I've served someone, a, a young guy who was 15 years old that ended up molesting a three-year-old. But as we search further, he was molested. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that happens. Um, and so I hope that answered that question. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So um, the next question, and I, we covered it a little while earlier, but I do think that it's important for us to talk about it again, because to be honest with you, um, and especially when it comes to African-American or people of color coming into therapy, this is one of the biggest concerns. So let's just really quickly talk about it again. It's, a, it's an anonymous question. It says, can you speak to the fear of not wanting past information exposed? Meaning now media tends to bring up past, the past of a person, including their mental health history, et cetera, which causes me to be hesitant to get treatment. Who wants to tackle that one? I can add in a few words. So um, it was it was mentioned um, by several of our panelists and, and by Labonda that we are mandated uh, to maintain confidentiality. Um, and, and typically, if you're getting on board with any of us or any other therapists, they should review with you ways in which uh, information may be shared or can be shared. Uh, most times, we're not going to share information 
unless you allow us to and you sign a waiver saying that we can share information. Um, the other time where information will have to be shared in some instance would be if it was court ordered or something of that magnitude. But even within that, um, we still take care I'm just gonna say that we still take care in sharing information, right? And so that may not mean that we're sharing every single note from every single session, but maybe sharing what a diagnosis is or sharing uh, a summary of, of progress, you know, but not the details of she said at two o'clock on this day mm -hmm. that she wanted to commit suicide, right? You know, in addition to that, you have the right to say, you know what? I don't want you to report that I'm even seeing you to my employer. Right. Right. And we're and we're mandated to that. So I just wanted to start that that answer off. Perfect. Um, so just just like when you go to your medical doctor, um, no one can just come up to the to their front office and say, I need information about Levana Sweeney's medical treatment. Um, they're going to be told, I'm sorry, I cannot confirm or, or deny that this person is even a patient with us. It's the same same concept. Um, in certain instances, we are, we are um, especially when we work in substance use, there's an actually an extra set of confidentiality laws that, that, that we have to abide by. And so um, as far as media and things like that, obviously that when I hear that, it sounds more like if you're running for office or something kind of major and big, it does kind of seem like things will leak out for, for those instances. That's not common at all. When it, when it comes to, to just, just normal people getting, getting therapy. So just keeping in mind, um, and, and whoever there was that asked that question, because they, they did ask it um, anonymously, um, be sure if you, when you go to your therapist, be sure to express that, express those fears, talk, talk about that, process through that um, with your therapist uh, in, in the very beginning so, so that y'all, you, you guys can deal with that. All right, one other question. <clears throat> it says, um, and this is from Lori. Lori asks, what is your, well, there's actually two other questions. Um, Lori says, what is your best advice for a mentor or extended family member of a child or adolescent, I think this is for you, Dorothy, who isn't receiving feedback from the young person and is struggling to tell if any of the pouring in seeds they're trying to plant are getting through? And, and I've, many of you work with, with child, children and adolescents too, so you all can answer. I guess there's really, I guess the the young person's actions will be more to, will tell you more about what they're taking in and what's soaking in and what's being received. Because um, they're, you know, young people don't want to talk to nobody. So, mm -hmm. um, and time, really, there's no way for you to like force it out of them or, you know, demand them to tell you how they're feeling. So, I would just say it would be time and, and watching their actions to see if you've seen any changes, whether they be positive or negative, to the effect of what you've been trying to guide, the direction you've been trying to guide them in. Absolutely. Anybody else, any other you ladies who, who see children, adolescents who are familiar with this type of situation want to want to add to that? Thank you, Dorothy. Mm -hmm. I would say on my end um, is that I, I have found it really important, and we talked about this before, and um, a consumer, like a client coming in and really having a good understanding about how uh, therapy will work and what the limitations are as far as and how that applies to children and how that family unit will be brought into the services as well. Because I think through some of that interaction, 
um, the family members will also be taught about some of the things that they need to be looking for and some additional like tools that they can use at home. So for instance, like I do, um, I play a lot of games with, with children, like there's a, a feeling scene doing game and I'll play that game with the child like just one-on-one -on -one, and then I will also talk to the child and a parent about times when I will want to bring the parents in. And even though I will, you know, try to explain to the child on their level that, you know, you being a minor, your parents still have um, the ability and we want them to be part of this process. So I will talk to them about, well, next session, we're going to have, you know, mom and dad or both or, you know, other siblings or whatever come in and participate in us playing the game and we're going to all play it together. And so through that interaction, I can model for the parents um, or, or a guardian, like how they can interact with the child and then kind of have um, some time later on to talk to them about things that they can be looking for that I would be looking for. Because again, um, like Dorothy said, a, 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 a child may not um, communicate with us in a way that's just like, well, this is how I'm feeling today and this is exactly what's going on with me. You got to get on their, you know, level. And, and a lot of that, I like the the piece about the creative play because that is really a great way to engage a child in, in communicating. So it's kind of teaching those skills to a parent, like just the talking may not, you may not get the feedback that you're looking for, but if you can kind of implement some of the things that we're doing in session, you may be able to glean a lot of information about what they're getting and how they're thinking and processing different information. And most times when, if you ask the right question, I found this with just clients, period. If you ask like the right question, whatever the golden question is, they'll just start talking. They'll tell you everything you need to know. You know what I mean? It's just trying to figure out like, what is that question though? And a lot of that has to do with rapport. And I think also teaching um, the adults that when we're working with children, that it's not the child that is the problem. It's a family issue. It's not the child. I get that kind of, you know, attitude all the time is that they're doing this, they're doing that. And the language that I give back to them is when I refer to the child, I, ref I say the family, the family, because they need to understand like children are young and impressionable. They do what they know, whether they saw it in the house or they saw it at school or they saw it you know, in a neighborhood somewhere, they, they're, they're mimicking what they see in terms of interaction. So they have to recognize, the adults have to recognize how they, how they show up and how they can kind of tailor some of the ways they interact so that they can understand on that child's level what they're trying to communicate because they are. If they're silent, they're still communicating something. And so they need to, to be able to have the the right language to be able to talk to the children in a way that um, they can glean the information that they need. Perfect. Thank you so much. We have two more questions. Um, and this one I like. I like this question as well. So it says, what do you all as professionals do to protect your own mental health? Does it ever become too much? That is a great question. If y'all don't mind, I'm going to answer that first. Mm -hmm. um, well, okay. So I'm going to answer it based on a general, um, a, what I would generally do. COVID-19 has put a little bit of a, um, of, of a strain where we had to have to kind of 
adjust some of that. Um, but for me, it's sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I make sure that I'm getting sleep at night. I even, I'll, I'll, all my clients, how much sleep are you getting? Four mm-hmm. hours, that's not enough. If you're getting four hours of sleep every night, it's, just, it's not, not enough. What can you readjust? So for me, it is sleep. I try to make sure I get at least seven hours of sleep. Now, let's be real. It is not always easy to do that. It's not always easy to do that. But I try to make a point to get at least seven hours of sleep. I would love eight or nine. Um, but if I get less than, less than six or so, I, I don't function well. So for me, it's sleep. Um, reading, um, doing things that, that make me feel good, like talking to my friends. Um, right now, we're doing a lot of Zoom calls. We have a weekly or every, or every other week Zoom calls where literally we're just laughing and talking. We're, we're, we're trying to stay away from the hot topics. We're just trying to have a really good, enjoyable time. So spending time with my friends and family. Um, yoga, I used to do yoga all the time. I hadn't done it in a while, but it's, yoga is, is, has been really, really helpful for me um, in, in the past. Um, I read books and the beach. The beach is my best friend. I love the beach. And so those are some of the things. I'm probably forgetting some things, but um, for me, self-care is, is very, very important. Oh, I'm going to say this. I have adopted a motto that says, that goes, I can't carry that. Um, so to answer your question, does it ever become too much? Yes. And when I can feel it getting heavy, that's when I, I know it's something I can't carry. If something new comes in um, and it's just too much for me, I say, I can't carry that. And I don't deal with it. It's, I set boundaries. I think Lakia and both Tamara um, and Tiffany, I do believe, mentioned setting those healthy boundaries. I do that very often. I have no problem saying no. I have no problem telling people I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, so setting boundaries is also um, a, a good one for me. All right, ladies. How, anybody else? I definitely agree with you, LaVonda. Definitely setting boundaries um, with other people as well as with ourselves. Some things that I've been doing um, to just kind of cope. Um, I love nature. So going outside, you know, walking, exercising, that's kind of my outlet. Um, I love music. So there are just some moments where I'll just, you know, listen to music. Um, Prior to kind of the whole quarantine thing, I had bought like some paint supplies. So I'm not very artistic, but I like to think that I am. (laughs) So, So, you know, did some painting, but you just have to get creative. And going back to learning how to say no, um, last year when I went into, when I went into the private practice full, full time, um, it was very, it it was definitely um, kind of a test for me but it also helped me to see like what areas maybe I need to scale back on. So just kind of learning how to schedule my, you know, clients in a better way um, and learning how to stick with my schedule. If I don't have the room for, a, you know, to take on a new person at the moment, or if I don't have the room to squeeze in um, a client for that week, I have to be intentional about just, you know, letting them know I don't have the availability. Cause sometimes even as helpers, you know, because of our desire to help, you know, we will overwhelm ourselves. And so learning how to create um, those boundaries and be able to just say no and take care of ourselves first. So I, you know, somebody said, I think in the comments about practicing what we preach, I think is definitely important as clinicians and as helpers 
that we be intentional about taking care of ourselves first because how are we going to help others if we're not caring for ourselves um so yeah so those are just some things that work for me mm-hmm. uh, for me um you know i believe that a wise counsel has wise counsel and so um i have a wise i have my wise counsel you know um i talk to my therapist right um that that keeps me <clears throat> grounded and then i do those things that ground me so i'm a beach baby i'm a mermaid didn't you know i'm a mermaid so <laughs> hey mermaid <laughs> so I, I i beach it i go to the beach oftentimes just getting by a body of water you know getting out in nature does it for me right eating my seafood <laughs> right <laughs> eating my seafood does it um um, and then just, you know, being able to fellowship. I resonate with friend time. You know, uh, there's times when I'm introverted, but there, I am extrovert. I'm, I think I'm like a, um, um, a hybrid, <laughs> intro, extra, you know, but, you know, needing that time to connect with people um, and just, you know, those authentic relationships, because we talk to so many people so, so, so frequently and you're building all these relationships clinically but I still have to have, okay, I know these are my friends. These are the people I talk to. So that way I'm not, disp- I'm not talking about my stuff in a therapy session when you should be talking about your stuff, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, friendships, um, uh, beaching it, you know, grounding myself in that way. Um, and, and just, you know, laughing and having fun. Oh, and then I sing. Oh gosh, singing does that just, I could sing and just take a whole weight off of me just by singing a song. So, yeah. Thank you. Anybody else want to share? These are all, these are all really great things um, that we actually do. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, spiritually speaking, um, I pray. I don't attend church, obviously not through the COVID-19, but, you know, watching church online, things like that, things that kind of feed me spiritually. I make sure I do that. I have a really great group of um, friends from my church that uh, we had, we're in life group together. That's always a blessing um, for me. So obviously my spirituality is also another thing that grounds me. I mean, it helps me take care of my, my, my mental health. And I actually um, had a therapist myself um, for quite a while. The only reason I don't see her anymore is because she closed down her office in Greenville and only sees people in, in Charlotte. So um, those are all some, some, some really good things. Before we end, it's 1230. Um, there's one last thing that I want to cover. Um, there, excuse me. There's one last question. Um, another anonymous question, and it's a follow-up regarding the, the mentoring. Um, it says, uh, follow-up regarding the mentors, the children. If as a mentor, you fear for a young person's physical or emotional safety, for instance, due to self-harm or domestic violence at home, you don't have contact with the family or the child's therapist, and you fear detrimental impacts to the family if you were to report the information to children and family services, is there a course of action you would recommend? That's a tough one. Who wants to, anybody want to tackle that one? Now, just kind of chime, just to make sure I'm hearing this question right. So there's a person who's a mentor and they see that this child is, is already being harmed and there's fear of making a report to uh, Child Protective Services and fear of ongoing hurt or harm or danger to the child. That's correct. And, and this person does not have contact with the family or the child's therapist. So they don't have those avenues to go down. Yeah, so um, I would, I mean, we're men, anyone who's serving in the public arena, we are all mandated reporters. 
And so one, I would say you make that report and you call the police. Mm-hmm. Make that report mm-hmm. and make the police and notify the police. And you can call the police and ask them to do a well check. Yes. And they can go by and do a well check. And so you might say, okay, you know what? I made this report. Lord, I'm going to pray, you know, and then, and then maybe have a, if there's any, I don't know if there's any other kind of support for that child, have a backup plan to say, Hey, look, I made this report. If you, and I share with our clients, we don't cover up the fact that we're mandated reporters. We don't cover up the fact that if we find something that's reportable, that we're going to make that report and I'm not going to have my hand that I made the report. Right. Right. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about it. And I'm yeah. going to say, well, this needs to be investigated further. And that's out of my scope and out of my purview. So a report, a report will be made, you know, and I'll let it be known. And then I also um, like to know who else is in that support system for that child um, who could serve as um, like a mediator, so to speak, you know, to be in the home, like maybe an auntie or an uncle or family friend who can constantly check on that child, right? Um, if that's possible. So I hope that, I hope that helped. Yes, very good. And, and I, I think this, this, so this is the tough, this is tough um, because people don't want to report a DSS. Um, and as therapists, we are, we, are, we are mandated to do it. And so if information is brought to us, um, then, then we will make the report for you as a, as a mentor if, if you don't feel comfortable doing it. As long as we have the information that we need, we can do it. Um, but it is tough for people that are involved with the family outside of that mandated reporting um, obligation. I've had a lot of people not want to do that. And, and I, what part of, the, part of this person's question says that, there's, that you fear detrimental impacts to the family if you were to report the, report the information. This is the thing to consider. When, when, I, when I hear detrimental impacts, I automatically think um, of that you, you may fear DSS coming in and, and t- taking the children, which is a very valid fear. But let's think about something. If this child, if, if this child or this young person is in physical or emotional harm, their, their physical or emotional safety is in jeopardy due to self-harm or domestic violence. Now, self-harm is not something, unless it's suicidal, um, that's something that, 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 we, that we just kind of work with through in, 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 um, in therapy. But let's say there, you know, there's domestic violence or there's drug use in the home and, and, you, and you, know, like you know for a fact. What's most important? The safety of the child or the fact that the family may be mad at you? That's, those are the things to consider. If the, children are, if the child is being harmed in the home, then it is our obligation as therapists, ethically, and then I also will add our obligation morally as adults that are healthy for this, for this child to make sure that they're safe. Um, and so if, the, if DSS is involved, if the police got to go show up um, at the door, then whatever it takes to, to make sure that child is safe is, is, is what, what we need to do. That's, that's my take. Does anybody want to add anything to that? All right, ladies. That is it. That concludes us um, for today's event. I'm really excited. I'm, I really hope that everybody got something um, away from it. I want to thank Tiffany, Tamara, Dorothy, and Lakia for sharing your time and your expertise. Um, for those of you who are joining us, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you have any questions, these ladies did share their, their contact information. You also have my email. Um, it, is, it should be in the registration email, so please shoot us um, any, any emails, anything like that. If you need more information, I'd be happy to give it to you. And if that is all, I would like to say thank you. And I hope that everyone in, um, enjoys their weekend. All right, bye.
All right, thank you. You're welcome. All right.